Hello, and welcome to Fintech Surge Podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities through fintech innovations in the Middle East for the Middle East. Powered by Fintech Surge, the region's leading fintech festival, hosted by the Dubai World Trade Center, alongside Jitex Global. Hello, and welcome to the Fintech Surge Podcast, creating a wealth of opportunity through fintech innovation from the Middle East for the Middle East. My name is Stephen, and I'm excited to be joined by Alexandra, our co-host for this episode. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be co-hosting this podcast with you. Powered by the FinTech Surge, the region's leading FinTech festival, hosted by the Dubai World Trade Center, alongside Jitex Global. Hello, everyone. I am here with Mr. Omar Halabie of Amazon Payment Services. How are you, Omar? Doing great. How about yourself? Great. Thanks for joining us today. We're really happy to have you here. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So, Omar, tell me about uh, your role at Amazon Payment Services. Sure. So, first, just to set some context, yes. uh, essentially. So, Amazon Payment Services is really here to empower merchants to provide their, their customers with payment experiences that are simple, affordable, and trusted. Uh, we power the payment experience of over 3,500 merchants in the region, spanning eight countries, ranging from uh, verticals and industries such as e-commerce, airlines, healthcare, uh, merchants of all sizes, from small and medium businesses to large enterprises, and a varying online capabilities, whether they have a full-fledged digital commerce presence to having no online uh, presence. So my role at Amazon Payment Services, essentially, I lead the technology function there, uh, which encompasses everything from uh, pre-sales uh, on the technical side and solutioning to help prospective merchants understand the value they can drive out of our services, all the way to when they onboard, how do we get them integrated into using our services, to then developing uh, new products and services, to maintaining and supporting all the existing products and services that we provide, um, and making sure that they're reliable, highly available, obviously mm -hmm. secure, um, and all the data management that comes along with it as well. Okay, so you're head of technology. How old is Amazon Payment Services? Sure. So Amazon Payment Services used to be known uh, previously as Payfort under the, the Souk umbrella. Yes. Uh, Payfort was founded back in 2013, so we've been in business in this region for over 10 years now. Okay. And what market are you focused on mainly? Sure. So we operate across eight markets in the Middle East and North Africa region. So we have uh, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, Oman, Kuwait, uh, Jordan, uh, Lebanon, uh, as well as Qatar. Yeah. Okay. And uh, is there a reason why you're focused on uh, this uh, part of the world? Uh, sure. So uh, historically, uh, Payfort was originally first uh, sort of inceived uh, by the Sioux Group as a means to help them uh, grow their e-commerce business by solving payment challenges in the region. Obviously, when they conceived this organization, they thought, hey, how about we also solve uh, payment problems and challenges that other merchants may have, not just themselves. So it was set up as an independent entity uh, to provide payment services. And of course, originally it was supporting the three main markets where Souk marketplaces exist in Egypt, UAE, and Saudi. Mm -hmm. But since then, we've been expanding primarily uh, basis the needs of our merchants as they've expanded their presence from local and say one or two or three of these countries uh, into the region. So we've really been following both the merchant demand and the opportunity in the region. Yeah. Right. And what are some of those challenges that you're referring to? Sure. So I think you know it, it has a few different flavors. I would say the a couple of them are 
One is around uh, payment acceptance. So how do you make sure that as merchants are expanding into these various countries, that we accept the majority, if not all, of the payment methods that customers in these regions a, have access to or choose to use out of whatever payment instruments that they have. So say, for example, a merchant is looking to expand into Kuwait, for example. Uh, most of the uh, folks there use KNET as one of the main payment instruments. It's a local uh, scheme that they have. And so if you're a merchant expanding into Kuwait, you need to be able to accept KNET to make a dent in that, in that market. So that's, a, in some sense, a challenge that we solve for. Another one is as merchants you know, work to expand in the region, they want to also simplify uh, both their technical footprint as well as the integrations that they have. And so for us, you know, merchants integrate with us using a single integration and are able to expand their technology footprint without needing to integrate with a whole new payment service provider and build new contracts, et cetera. So we make it easy for them to expand uh, with one, essentially uh, one integration. And then, of course, you know, customers and merchants alike are looking for a high amount of trust when it comes to payments, so ensuring that we're using the right practices of risk management, fraud detection, but also of information security as data traverses from you know, the merchants into our environment. It gets processed in our environment and eventually gets stored as well. Right. So your clients are basically the merchants. Yeah. Um, do you uh, offer training to them when they embark on your, uh, uh, with you? Yeah. Uh, do you help them through yeah. uh, with what they need to set up on their platform? And sure. So we have a, a whole series around you know, what we call kind of uh, learning and, and development and, and training as well. It starts out with even with uh, prospects. We do regular webinars, uh, both to existing merchants if they choose to attend, but also uh, non-existing sort of uh, merchants of ours where we educate them on topics ranging from uh, risk management to trends in uh, financing to uh, information security or any other topics really to share the learnings that, that we have. Mm -hmm. Obviously as merchants decide to come and onboard with us, uh, we support them with our solution architecture and integration teams um, on the technical side, but there's also support on uh, the business development uh, and relationship management side to walk them through every step of the process, mm -hmm. make sure we're addressing uh, all their challenges and concerns and making sure that they're integrating it with our services in the best means possible to get the most value out of their uh, services and their integration with us as well. Mm. So say a merchant is based in the UAE and wants to sell in uh, Qatar, uh, the, um, the currency yeah. exchange is it done at your level how, how does that work sure so essentially uh, the way uh, our existing business model works is essentially we're expecting the merchant to have uh, an acquiring entity or, or a local entity in the countries where they're operating from so in this case like the merchant would have an entity or a business that they're transacting under in Qatar and would have a, an acquiring account with uh, a local Qatari bank and then we essentially facilitate the payment uh, in, in that respect now if the customer on their side uh, is transacting in a different currency, then we do provide optionality that the merchant can make available to the, to the customer in terms of uh, you know, what currency they want to transact on and, and okay. how that works. But eventually the money will get settled locally in whatever the local acquiring bank account is. Okay, so it's up to the merchant to decide to set the currency for uh, that, its product? That, that's correct, and they have the option to expose that to their customer in terms of how that works, yeah. Okay, and so would you say that you are exceeding customer expectations 
Sure. I, yeah. I def, uh, so I think for us, like, we really wake up every day and ask ourselves, like, what are we doing to go above and beyond for our customers? Um, to me, I see the the bar that customers set is essentially a target that we want to achieve, but it's a never-ending pursuit because the moment that you set the bar at a certain level, mm -hmm. your customers come back and this becomes their baseline expectation. And so what we try to do is, again, be relentless in our approach of obsession over customers mm -hmm. and make sure that we spend a lot of time with them at every stage, whether they're existing, they're prospecting, uh, understanding their challenges, the opportunities that are there, and how do we continue to raise the bar on meeting or exceeding their expectation. Mm. And what makes Amazon payment services uh, different than other payment services? Sure. So I would say a, a couple of things uh, in terms of how we approach things. I think the first one is uh, I just mentioned about our customer-obsessed culture in terms of really spending a lot of time trying to understand what are the merchant pain points needs specifically um, in the region and how do we solve for that? So starting with the customer and really working our way backwards in terms of meeting their need, uh, that would be, I think, one. The other one is the local and regional expertise that we bring. As I mentioned, we're one of the oldest uh, payment service providers here in the region. We've been in this region for over 10 years. So we bring an immense amount of knowledge and understanding of the payment landscape here and use that to enhance our uh, product offering for our customers. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third one is now, you know, uh, in the last few years with the acquisition of Amazon, I think all the toolkit uh, knowledge, whether in terms of process, systems, know-how that comes along with being part of Amazon, mm -hmm. I think bringing all of that with the innovations that come along with it and making it available to our customers, I think is what makes us unique with respect to uh, everyone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, being the head of technology, and you just brought up uh, an important point of um, you know, local and regional expertise, do you generally find it difficult to find uh, talent? Sure. So I'll, I'll start maybe with the, with the global context of tech talent and then maybe zoom in specifically on the, on the region. So you know, tech talent shortage has been a, a challenge, I would say, for at least a good 15 years or so. And uh, I was reading a report recently that uh, the IMF is projecting that there's going to be a, an 85 million people shortfall in, in tech by the year 2030. And just to put that number into perspective, I think every year in the U.S. roughly there's about 400,000 people that enter the tech job industry. So you can see that there's a tremendous disparity between the target amount that we want to get to right. and that. And what that means is like if we're not able to hit those numbers, there's a large opportunity cost to the economy in terms of opportunity that would be there mm -hmm. uh, if, we're, if we're able to meet that. So certainly it's a challenge. I would say this challenge in some sense has been getting compounded uh, as of late, especially with advancements even within tech of emerging and new technologies, which makes the need for specializations even that didn't exist maybe even up to five years ago that start emerging. Things like uh, data scientists or maybe security engineers, etc. Um, making it imperative for us to, you know, essentially figure out how to solve for this uh, for this challenge. I think zooming into the region specifically, um, I would say maybe prior to the past, I would say maybe about five years. I think most of the tech talent that was being, you know, developed in the region was primarily going abroad and mm -hmm. uh, and joining, you know, global uh, organizations. I think it's really very exciting and uh, and for me uh, something that. I look at it with a lot of excitement in terms of 
the amount of opportunities that are now available in the region, uh, whether through startups that have started very small and local, uh, but have gone on to find not even regional success, but even global success in some cases. So I think that's helped create uh, more of a local and regional talent pool Mm -hmm. uh, there, of course, again, uh, now that uh, a lot of the global companies such as Amazon, but many others as well, have moved into the region, I think the, the impact they're having in terms of creating, again, uh, local high-quality jobs that uh, are able to take in a lot of the talent that we're generating in the region and help develop them and grow them to the next level mm -hmm. uh, is also very exciting. But I also feel that uh, it's incumbent on all organizations, Amazon being one of yes. them, to take a big role in uh, investing in the talent pool um, to help grow and, and hopefully close that uh, tech challenge that, uh, mm -hmm. that I mentioned. A few things that we've been doing uh, in, in the region, you know, starting with providing uh, internship opportunities for, okay. uh, for tech students uh, across locales uh, to help develop uh, tech talent and provide hands-on work experience well, uh, as one. So you have a Amazon Payment Services Academy? Uh, in some <laughs> sorts, at the Amazon level across the region. We also have, we, we're providing uh, you know, lectures and presentations in, in many forums, whether universities, coding academies, etc., mm -hmm. in the region. Uh, we're providing scholarship opportunities. Recently, we, we basically provided scholarships for students in cybersecurity in, in, uh, in Jordan uh, to support developing the next wave of uh, security talent in the region. Mm -hmm. So these are a few snippets. AWS is doing a lot in terms of their restart program and the mm -hmm. upskilling of, uh, of tech talent in the region on mm -hmm. uh, cloud services, artificial intelligence, et cetera. Yes. Uh, these are just a few snippets. There are a lot more, but I think it's very critical and important for us uh, to drive the economies in the region uh, to basically both upskill the existing talent and also help drive the next wave of Absolutely. Region, yeah. Definitely this region is becoming, is attracting a lot of companies and it's becoming a, a tech hub, a fintech hub, yeah. essentially. Um, but I do agree, we also need to, you know, train within and provide opportunities to um, uh, university students uh, through your, um, your internships. That's a very good idea. Just to touch on this yeah. internship, how many do you take on Sure. So um, I think, like, uh, I would say that uh, in general, like, if I look at, for example, uh, this year, mm -hmm. I think we've taken uh, probably over uh, over a hundred uh, over a hundred wow. folks, yeah, that across the, the MENA region. So it's, oh, it's a lot. Oh, I never thought yeah. it would be three digits. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. It's, it's, <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah. That's and fantastic. And I think that's probably a conservative estimate. The number is probably higher than that, even. Yeah. 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 E-commerce is definitely uh, the future. Do you feel that uh, with the evolution of e-commerce, do you feel that um, the older generation, say the baby boomers, yeah. have embarked uh, on e-commerce probably uh, because they were forced to during the pandemic, whereas you know normally they'd go into a shop to buy their, their products, they had to go online to buy their products. Do you feel that there's more of a buy-in from the baby boomers, say? Sure. So, um, uh, interesting uh, question. I think, uh, you know, while we each may have sort of, in some sense, perceived biases about uh, the demographics of, of online shoppers, I was actually trying to test even what my own biases were. And I went online and was doing my own research. And, and I looked at a recent study that was, that was done in the US. And uh, basically, in the, in the age group of 18 to 34, obviously, we see the highest adoption of 
in terms of percentage of overall e-commerce shoppers. I think the mm -hmm. number was around 20% for that, for that age group. Mm -hmm. But surprisingly, when you looked at all the other age groups above that one, um, so whether it's the, the 30s, the 40s, the 40s, to 50s, uh, they ranged in terms of about 14 to 17% each uh, in terms of, uh, of their share. Now, of course, you have to account for how many, you know, how much of the population falls in which category. But right. I, I think the, the main point here is that while there is some difference, of course, the digital natives, if you will, are, are more prone to adopt e-commerce. Mm -hmm. I think the, the older generations are also adopting e-commerce with uh, quite a bit in terms of percentage. And the difference mm -hmm. between them is not as significant as we might imagine it to be. Well, I'm thinking um, of my yeah, father. That is sure. a baby boomer. Yeah. So that's that's 65 plus. Yeah. That's actually 70 plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think we're definitely seeing adoption across, like I think all the rest of the age groups, um, over 14 percent. And hmm. what we do see, of course, that you know through the through the pandemic wave, uh, while you know e-commerce adoption was uh, obviously there even from before in terms of as people experienced it, but I would say at least estimates uh, that yeah. uh, people give is like the the pandemic accelerated the, the growth and adoption of digital commerce by mm -hmm. anywhere three to five years along the adoption curve. And what we're seeing is people who've experienced it, maybe even for the first time during the pandemic, really saw the value in terms of the convenience and a lot of the other features that, that they observe and have really stuck to it afterwards, uh, mm -hmm. maybe at a different frequency, uh, perhaps as they have more uh, physical options open up again, uh, mm -hmm. but certainly as now using it as one of the channels through which they shop, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Omar, you're head of technology yeah. at Amazon Payment Services. Your industry is booming right now, e-commerce, fintech. How important do you feel is collaboration in this space? Sure. No, definitely. I think uh, collaboration in a way is a, is a must that's not really even an, an option. Um, and in the fintech and payments industry in general, um, there's a lot of, uh, in some sense, players in the ecosystem and each player, you know, adds value in, in certain aspects. And uh, it's not, uh, I would say, imaginable to say or fathom that, hey, one entity can solve all of the opportunities or the challenges that exist. And making collaboration essentially almost mandatory in that respect to bring the most value for, uh, for customers. And so one of the things I wanted to highlight is uh, that's why, for example, we've invested in uh, you know, partnering with DIFC and opening a fintech lab to really act as our hub or focal through which we engage with the community here from the UAE and beyond in terms of the ecosystem, whether it starts with uh, government, uh, regulatory bodies, central mm -hmm. banks, but also in terms of the ecosystem and the industry, whether uh, banks, you know, traditional finance, fintechs, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, up and coming startups, and I think the, the advances in fintech really create, in some sense, a level, a level playing field. So it's not no longer reserved for sort of banks or traditional uh, mm -hmm. financial players. Even small startups are go coming in and disrupting. And so I think there's tons of opportunities there, uh, but collaboration mm -hmm. is certainly the way to go in terms of you know, extracting as much value as we can for customers and, and bringing the best financial services out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what, what is your ideal image of collaboration? Sure, so I would say for me, the ideal vision of collaboration is, is one that's uh, sort of angled at uh, providing uh, you know, solutions for customer you know, challenges and problems. So when I think about uh, FinTech or, or financial services in general, I would say the, the top things that come to mind 
our uh, first and foremost inclusion. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we're able to bring in people to the financial services sector? I think it's easy for us, especially here in the UAE, where we almost take financial services as a given. Pretty much everyone here has a bank account by default when you come into the country. But uh, I think when you think about the, the globe, there are over uh, 2 billion people um, uh, actually that don't have access to financial services. Or credit. And, or, or credit. I mean, even right. financial services to start with in any form. Mm. And then out of those, then you start getting into, well, okay, now that we have some kind of inclusion, what about access? What about affordability? Uh, what about, uh, you know, cost of these services? What about the user experience along these services? So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of opportunity to collaborate to solve all of these challenges. And it really starts with trying to bring in as many people as we can uh, into the system. Um, and so those are mm -hmm. some of the challenges that I see us collaborating with the broader groups on, yeah. Okay, so collaboration with compet competitors as well? Like we're, round table? We're, we're always, uh, we say we're, we're at Amazon, we're <laughs> obsessed with customers, but inspired by, uh, by competition. Yes. And uh, wh whatever is in the support of working with our, uh, working in the favor of our customers, yeah. Hmm. Uh, looking at alternative uh, technologies, what is your view of the blockchain technology and do you foresee uh, Amazon payment services eventually embarking on this technology sure. in some form or another? Sure. So, well, obviously, I can't, I can't disclose any specific plans of what Amazon or Amazon Payment Services does, but I just wanted to share our mental model. Like, we're we're very excited uh, about the the technologies that are emerging, and the promises that they hold to bring uh, bearing and, and opportunity for for customers. Um, I think the way I, I look at it is uh, we're very much engaged in that conversation, both in terms of learning ourselves about these technologies but also uh, collaborating with others in terms of how we can bring these technologies to life mm -hmm. uh, to solve uh, customer problems and needs. Uh, just to give you some examples, like just last week, I just came back from uh, the Point Zero Forum in, in Zurich, mm -hmm. where uh, in joint collaboration between the finance ministries of Switzerland as well as uh, Singapore, mm -hmm. uh, there was a conference set up in terms of uh, you know, the topics of uh, Web 3.0, DeFi, uh, digital currencies, you know, CDBC, including uh, cryptocurrencies as well. And then this week we're co-sponsoring uh, the DIFC FinTech Week uh, as well, uh, which will be covering a lot of similar topics as well. So we remain very engaged. We're very excited. And as a technology at heart, technologist at heart, very mm -hmm. excited about the opportunities this presents and uh, eagerly seeing, again, how do we use these technologies to advance uh, customer opportunities. I think it's yes. something I'm looking forward it's, to. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild thoughts yeah. <laughs> of the future. Um, blockchain leads me to ask you about uh, cybersecurity. Sure. Uh, what are your views sure. on cybersecurity? Do you feel that e-commerce is uh, you know, threatening that uh, space or sure. do you feel like it's pretty much under control? So I would say the way I look at cybersecurity, uh, I don't necessarily like to use the word uh, threat because it, it, it infers like existentiality. I think for me, it's more of a challenge in right. terms of as we're dealing with e-commerce, digital payments, we have to make sure that we're able to do these things in a safe and secure manner. Uh, obviously, the statistics in that area are, to be honest, quite alarming. Like I think I was reading a report recently that uh, uh, you know, between last year and this year, there's an increase of over 20% in terms of cybersecurity, you know, major cybersecurity incidents. 
which in some sense is a wake-up call for us to say that we need to continue to do more. And when you look at the, the top factors of uh, customers, you know, either using a digital payment solution or transacting on e-commerce, trust comes up as sort of the number one factors of what drives consumer choice and consumer decision to partake okay. uh, in these activities. So it's very important to, in some sense, prioritize this as the number one priority as we do at Amazon Payment Services. We yeah. say customer trust kind of trumps all else. Um, I think the way I look at uh, cybersecurity is uh, it's, it's kind of a multifolded uh, problems and I'll try to maybe break it down a little bit in terms of how I think about it versus in some sense the physical security which we're more used to thinking about but mm -hmm. obviously at a much larger scale because it's in the virtual world. So I think the first one is about uh, developing obviously all your preventative measures. These are if you think about it the, the gates, the, the locks that you have right. just to make sure that your environment is secure as you deploy uh, services and infrastructure. But then it also comes into isolation in terms of if somebody did manage to get in through some part of your either services or infrastructure, how do you make sure you're able to contain uh, that breach and for it not to go sprawl mm -hmm. uh, everywhere else? Um, then it goes into beyond just a preventative measure, but it's also about um, ongoing monitoring detection. And you need to have good baselines. And what I mean by that is you need to have a good baseline of understanding what's the normal activities that usually happen. Like the service is accessed you know, once a day, every day at 8 a.m. Suddenly you're seeing the service being accessed at 10 p.m. It may be okay, like there may be a legitimate mm -hmm. reason why, but this right. could be a reason for you to suspect okay. something may be going on. So do you have strict uh, regulations with your merchants? Uh, do you, for example, uh, review their T's and C's or, uh, you know, have well-defined uh, Sure. So, in, yeah, so in, in general, uh, all companies that process uh, payments or credit card mm. uh, payments in, in general need to follow by the PCI DSS uh, standards. Uh, There's a global standards and there are uh, third parties that come and audit us and any other of our merchants and partners that uh, handle credit card payments. But beyond that, we also do very strict assessments whenever we onboard uh, third parties with which mm -hmm. with whom we deal with uh, as well um, and then we also share a lot of uh, best practices in terms of security uh, with our merchants and everyone in the ecosystem because we also have to recognize that information security is not only about systems it's also about people how do we train employees um, to also be super vigilant about mm -hmm. uh, cyber security because a lot of the incidents don't start in the systems they start with people things like social engineering phishing attacks uh, etc. are all things that we need to pay attention to. Yeah. Okay, okay. You brought up the issue of trust uh, yeah. twice now. Uh, uh, when you're talking about trust, are you talking about customers trusting the merchants? Uh, I would the say, merchants? yeah, I would say it, it goes in, in all directions because okay. it's, the, it's the customer trusting the, the merchant and, and their ability to safeguard, uh, you know, their data, their information. But then in turn, it's the merchant trusting us as a payment service provider that, that we're doing this. But as we say in, uh, in, in security, it's like it, it's an ecosystem. So there, you need to be able to uphold a high level of trust across the ecosystem yes. for consumers to obviously uh, feel safe and secure to, to provide those transactions. And when it comes to security, mm -hmm. it, in some sense, it's a global responsibility uh, because we're all in, in some sense in this together and that's mm -hmm. where you see us also actively participating in, 
industry groups around right. uh, cybersecurity because you know, collectively we can all keep the environment safer, mm -hmm. uh, but no single entity can do that in, in isolation. Fantastic. And let me ask you this question, sure. where do you see Amazon payment services in 2030? Say in 10 years from now. Sure. So I think um, the way I look at it is it'd be foolish of me to sit here and kind of predict uh, fully forward what, what will be the case. But I wanted to provide uh, maybe some, uh, some trends, uh, or at least uh, whether they're emerging or fully emerged, that I think will shape, and I'll do it in the broader sense of uh, e-commerce, because digital payments, uh, I would say, in some sense, uh, also supports e-commerce. So I think a couple of trends that I see is, I think one is the whole notion of supply chain resiliency uh, is something that we learned coming out of COVID and that historically, like supply chains used to rely on, you know, globalization, lowest cost supply, running as thin on inventory levels as you can. Mm -hmm. And I think these fundamental assumptions through the COVID pandemic were questioned. And I think a lot of companies are revisiting their supply chain strategy. So how do you uh, feel based they have on, changed? Uh, based on that. I think looking at uh, strategies of you know, uh, different levels of sourcing from different locales, mm -hmm. how much inventory you carry, what shipment methods you use, the routes, mm -hmm. like everything. Uh, the whole way that you manage supply chain is, is changing. Mm -hmm. That's one. I think the other one is advances in uh, the metaverse, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, I think are really blurring the lines between physical and online shopping experience, which I think will continue to pave a role. Um, I think the advances in uh, AI, machine learning, and also big data, mm -hmm. I think will further drive personalization of uh, shopping experience forward. We talked about blockchain, uh, not only in, in payments, but also in terms of uh, how it helps facilitate supply chain, uh, international trade, I mm -hmm. think will play a role uh, there. Um, other, other two or three trends I want to mention also were, um, I think the increased uh, role of uh, corporate responsibility and sustainability. I think the bar of what customers are expecting in terms of how companies behave and act and yes. how they do things versus just delivering a service, I think will continue to rise in importance uh, moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and then Absolutely. I think uh, to me, the, the global projects that are happening uh, to bring uh, underserved or unserved areas uh, into the digital ecosystem, I think are going to be super exciting. Like uh, we have over, um, I think, th 3 billion people on this world uh, don't even yet have internet access or regular yes. internet access. Imagine when we're able to bring these people online, mm -hmm. how the world will be. So I think those are maybe in my mind some of the trends that are going to impact, you know, e-commerce, mm -hmm. digital commerce, and, and maybe payments, uh, digital payments as we move forward. Yes, yes. And you brought up the metaverse. Do you have merchants currently that are poking and asking you if you're going to be able to provide them your services? I think so. I think uh, metaverse is kind of similar in the similar vein as I mentioned in terms of the you know the digital payment, you know, emerging digital uh, payments, whether in DeFi mm -hmm. uh, or digital currencies. I think there's a lot of work happening in terms of understanding what it is, how it works, uh, what opportunities exist, and uh, the different players in the market are in different stages yeah. of understanding, maybe Absolutely. prototyping, testing out some things. Well, but if it's a shop, you can set it up. You can set up your shop on the metaverse, correct? Sure. And then, well, and then there's a discussions about uh, what is the metaverse and, and who's managing the metaverse and uh, what flavors of it exist, yeah. I think, are all sort of emerging topics. I don't know. I yeah. just heard from a friend that she had a big headache afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyways, Omar, very nice having you here on the FinTech Surge podcast. I do hope to see you at the FinTech Surge uh, event in October alongside Jitex. Sure, I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. It's, uh, it's great to spend the time and, and yes. look forward to Jitex for sure. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much yeah. for being here today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for all the latest updates on FinTech in the Middle East and join the conversation over on our social channels. We look forward to seeing you at FinTech Surge in the Dubai World Trade Center from October 10th to October 13th. I'm Stephen Bess, and this has been the FinTech Surge podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities.